are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am doing back-to-back episodes. Now, for those of you keeping up linearly on and you're up to date, then you realize that we just put out an episode today. This is December 1st, and one just came out, and here I am the same night. It's about 1130 on December 1st, and I'm shooting another episode. And here's what my idea is. I'm going to do an episode every single day. Uh, for the rest of the year. And I might continue this on to February 1st, but I'm definitely going to commit to a new episode every single day for the rest of the year. Most of them are going to be sober shorties. We're just going to do a quick little 15 to 20 minute in and out. Some of them will be longer form, more than likely my general one episode a week like I would normally do. And here's the reason that my brain started creating this today. And um, I made a joke. This is the third time I've tried to do this show. Uh, I've shot this and stopped the recording two other times. And mostly because I just started to go off in a rambling hot mess like I tend to do. Um, and the point I want to make where this is going to go is that for me, creating is my way of grounding myself, of getting myself together whenever things feel very chaotic around me, getting my master's in all the coursework that I have to do and the amount of time I've been putting into it, closing up the year strong. I've added multiple new clients recently. I've started to book speaking gigs into next year. I finally figured out a way to get ChatGPT to go through 200 plus transcripts of my podcast that I did via Zoom. It's been an entire year of struggling to figure out the best way to get that silly little software program, ChatGPT, to finally spit out a usable product. And now that that has finally been figured out, I'm already up to, I think, episode 31 or 32, um, able to generally get about five a day, that uh, the book can finally be started. I've been wanting to do a From Sobriety to Recovery book now for a couple years. And once I missed the five-year deadline I had set for myself, my fifth year of sobriety and recovery, I said, okay, well, seventh year. Let's do it on the seventh year. We all know how much I love the number seven. That just seems to make sense. So sometime uh, next year, I will put out my first From Sobriety to Recovery book. And I do say first because there's going to be many. And finally being able to figure that out has really fired up a creative energy in me. And so I started to think about what this topic could be to start off this every single day having an episode thing. I love to create. I create a lot of different things. I might create an essay. I might create a podcast. I might play the ukulele and create just a fun little song. I want to get a xylophone and start playing that. Um, I like to create little melodies on the harmonica I got whenever I was front row at a Blues Traveler concert, and I, and I caught the harmonica the dude threw. Been wanting one of these things for years. Um, I like to create workout strategies and new programs for myself and then put myself through the rigors of that. I like to create new nutrition strategies and then watch my body shift and change as I create that. Um, I like to read new books. 
Um, two of my clients, uh, Detroit and Salem via St. Augustine, uh, both have been introducing me to philosophy podcasts and philosophy books. I've started getting into Stoicism and reading the Daily Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And maybe that's what led me back to the Good Place show I was talking about yesterday. So now I'm creating all these new ways of thinking by interjecting philosophy in with this inundation of psychology that I've been studying at Grand Canyon University. So now I'm creating Reading all these new neural pathways, as I think, and then of course, I'm teaching neuro linguistic programming um, every Thursday night to people just like you. If you would love to learn neuro linguistic programming, we can make that happen. Uh, I help other people create magnificent things in their lives by figuring out structure and strategies and patterns with them. Creation is my baby, and it can come in any form I choose it to come in. I recently got a coloring book that uh, one of my relatives was going to toss away, and I went out and got myself some colored pencils and some crayons off Amazon that'll be here soon. And I'm just going to start to color once in a while, just to color. I, I don't know what's going to come of it, but something will come of it. I love to create things. And when I first got sober, I started to create strategies for the new structure of my life. We've talked about this before where I've said, you know, I'd spend a couple hours at the gym just not to be at my house. And I'd wander around and I'd just start creating new little workout programs for myself that I could do just to keep myself entertained. Um, I cleaned up my entire room and moved furniture around and started to read new books and was introduced to neuro-linguistic programming at month three. And I took that off as a new way of creating my life and being able to heal my trauma and my suffering and being able to go back into these past memories and really take the lesson from them and leave the trauma and the sadness behind where it belongs in the past. And this creation of this new life, it just it became this this lifeblood, this center force for me. And it didn't stop there. You know, I would just figure out new ways of creating. I'd started writing poetry. I started writing stand-up jokes again. Uh, Then I found out ways I could start speaking on stage. And so I started creating speeches that I could say and and go off and teach. And then, of course, I launched another podcast called uh, College Success Habits shortly after I launched From Sobriety to Recovery. So my point here is is that I'm a creation machine. I love it. I thrive on it. I don't find the pace at which I go about my life to be exhausting whatsoever. I don't sit down very well. You know, I do a lot myself that one hour to one and a half hour of television every single day. You know, I try to minimize it going past that. And some days I don't even touch it. Um, but it's just, it's, I know it's there for me when I want it. And it's, it's a way for me to say, I have done what I needed to do today. Now let's go watch The Travelers. So let's go watch The Good Place. And then, of course, I don't just watch it and just turn my brain off. My brain just naturally is listening for different things that I can just start to connect to other things that we're already talking about. So why am I rambling on about this for seven minutes? I think it is absolutely imperative for you to feel fulfilled in your sobriety in recovery, to find ways to create something for yourself. There is a reason why addiction recovery centers and any program worth a grain of salt, when they get a hold of people new to sobriety, they immediately start to build out structure for them and they introduce them to new things because we're looking for massive shifts in our life 
knowing it's going to take that day-to-day consistency, but that's what we're looking for is that we're looking for shifts. So you provide people with structure. You give people a schedule. Idle hands are the devil's tool kind of thinking there. And the more that you start to help somebody structure their days, the more there actually is time for spontaneity. And I know this can be a little... It can be a little off-putting to hear that, but hear me out. By scheduling out my days the way that I do, where all my clients fall in a certain cadence from one another, or you know, I, I spend two hours on my essays, then I'll do 30 minutes of activity, like walking or a quick little workout or some yoga or some abs or some meditation. And well, not meditation, that'd be a little too much sitting. But my point being is then I would go into my next two hour work block and then I'd take 30 minutes and do something else or 45 minutes into this. But everything gets blocked out. And the reason that this actually creates opportunity for spontaneity is not everything that I schedule to work on necessarily necessarily has to get done. If it's on my priority and focus list, then obviously my intention is to do it that day. But if something pops up and I'm like, you know, I'd really like to go do this thing, then I know what I'm bumping. And by knowing what I'm bumping, I can release any kind of guilt that might come from just randomly picking things as they show up at my office door. That's putting out fires. If you've ever worked somewhere where you just put out fires for everybody else and then you look down at your desk and you still got all your work to do and it's 3 p.m. I don't want to feel like I'm putting out fires, like I'm just spontaneously maneuvering from one thing to the next. I want to know what's on the schedule and then I get to make the decision whether to do that thing or put something else into that spot. I don't sit down on the couch and watch TV in the middle of the day. It's just not something that I do. You can. I'm not dictating anything about what you can be doing. I just want you to be doing something. When I see people struggling at the beginning stages of their sobriety and recovery, the tendency is to continue doing most of the same things they were doing during their addiction time except they've just taken out their drug of choice or the alcohol or the food or the phone or whatever the addiction is that they've arrived at my office door talking about. They just want to take that out, but they don't really want to change much of anything else. Well, like I discussed yesterday, you have built hundreds, if not thousands of habits that have led you back to your addiction. And what's imperative is that we begin to shift all those little habits This is where the creation comes in. Now, your fire-up moment could be a completely different musical instrument, or it could be a completely different physical activity. It could be anything you want it to be. It just needs to be something. The pushback that I will get from people I talk to at addiction recovery centers when I say, just start walking an extra thousand steps a day, or just go find something, a new corner of your house that you've never sat in, and just put a chair and a little table there and read a book or meditate in that corner. And it's it's like, oh, that's not going to do anything. That's silly. It needs to be massive. It needs to be huge. I need to move houses. I need to change jobs. I need to, you know, I don't know, ship my kids off to Abu Dhabi and get new kids. I'm like, well, you're, you're looking for something way too drastic. That's the addiction mentality. That's the lack of impulse control. That's the instant gratification. I must feel the change now or the change isn't happening. <laughs> Let's breathe a little bit and realize that It's in the incremental shifts that massive changes happen. I'm going to be saying this a lot because I feel like it's not getting through. 
you got to find something to create. It could be video games. You get to create a whole different world. One of, one of my clients, Salem, uh, he loves playing the video games. He does it with one of his business partners. He gets to create these worlds and shoot the zombies or Age of Empires. I'm a big fan of Age of Empires. You get to build this little community. Or I'll play Madden for a little bit. And you get to throw the ball and you get to create this team and, and create points. And it's like you get to do something that feels enjoying joyful. It brings you, it elicits a level of happiness within you. And I mean, this can be anything. You could go get stickers of stars and put them all over your ceiling. I don't care what it is. I'm just telling you, find something. Get creative. Build structure. Schedule things out. You know what? Wednesdays at from three to five o'clock, I'm going to go hiking with my kids. Or Saturdays from one to four, I'm going to uh, practice the guitar. I'm just going to pick up random musical instruments at a pawn shop and just start playing them. Whatever it is, but you want to introduce new things to yourself. I have a whole episode about curiosity into interest, into passion, into purpose. I don't remember what episode it is, but that's the title. It's Curious, Interest, Passion, Purpose. Just introduce things to yourself. Get curious. What were some things you really enjoyed as a child? What were some things you really enjoyed in your teen years? And maybe that's where the suffering and the trauma started so you didn't get to complete your curiosity into interest, into passion loop with that. Go back. Maybe you were really into dinosaurs as a five-year-old. And I'm not saying go out and buy a bunch of Transformers now, but certainly you could start reading books on archaeology or paleontology or watching movies about that kind of stuff or documentaries, whatever it is. Find the things that you're curious in and just keep introducing yourself to new things until your curiosities turn to interest. And hold on to that interest, and it might be fleeting. It might be a month or three months or five months or six years. I don't know. However long you maintain that interest. And if it, if it begins to dissipate, then go introduce yourself to more things and get curious about other things and then bring in more interests. And maybe one or two of those interests turn into passions where it becomes a hobby you want to keep around for the long term. And maybe one day that passion is it fills you up so much that you now have to empty it out for other people to enjoy as well. And it becomes part of your purpose in life. One of the things I keep seemingly coming around, whether it's in the travelers or in the good place, um, or whether it's these you know, philosophy type shows I'm watching on YouTube, uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditation is this idea of the meaning of life and that a uh, some of the things that I've been introduced to recently, especially YouTube, this guy, What If Altist, um, big fan of what this guy talks about, very abstract, very philosophical in his ideas. And it just, it's very interesting. I don't always agree with everything he says. I don't think he needs me to agree. I don't even think he gives a shit if I even like his show. I just think he just does the show because he likes the show. But the point being is that this idea of meaning of life is something that seemingly is popping up a lot in his episodes when he talks about Gen Z and the millennial generation, not feeling like there's a meaning to life and what's happening around them lacks meaning and what is the meaning. And he'll dabble a little bit in what meaning of life has meant to previous generations, but it's more difficult now 
for Gen Xers to remember the 80s and 90s when we questioned the meaning of life, or for baby boomers who were questioning the meaning of the life in the 60s and 70s, because where there's a lot more freedom of time and a lot more uh, information around us now for us to be able to dabble in so many different things. In the early 1900s, we were going through the Industrial Revolution. Here comes World War One. You know, here comes a bunch of poverty, and we had you know just the stock market collapse in 1929. The 1920s, they may have been roaring, but a lot of it seemed like it was roaring downwards. The country wasn't in good footing. People weren't successful. We didn't have the resources to just do whatever we wanted whenever we wanted. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily what we have the opportunity to do now, but certainly there is a lot more freedom for what we're able to do in our time than there was, you know, 1950s and previous. So now we have this opportunity to question the meaning of life and whether the baby boomers remember that they did it, whether I definitely remember doing it as a Gen Xer or whether, you know, the Gen Yers and the millennials and Zs or whatever the hell they're being called now. It's, it is whatever it is, but I feel like everybody goes through this, what is the meaning of life phase? And I'm going to close up on this, that the meaning of life is whatever you decide it to be. My meaning of life is, is to create, is to learn, is to share, is, is to take in information and then share it with whomever wants to listen. That's what matters to me. It mattered to me back in my addiction days. I loved learning new things and talking abstractly with my friends and philosophizing about things that we had no right philosophizing on, especially on an eight ball of blow. Like It was whatever it was, but I loved learning new things and seeing how they integrated into my life. Meaning of life for some could be having children and having a family. It could be making a ton of money. It could be traveling the world. It could be, uh, you know, eating every single flavor of ice cream at Baskin Robbins. What the fuck ever, man? Just figure it out for yourself. Don't go looking for somebody else to tell you what the meaning of life is because that's going to be their meaning of life. And if you can't seem to get on board with other people's meaning of life, it's because it's their meaning for life. Even people who are devoutly religious, who are told what the meaning of life is. And some of those religious books want to make it out like the meaning of life is to suffer and to have a fucking shit show go on down here. But hey, when you get to heaven or wherever the deities take you at the end of the game, everything is going to be kosher. Well, that may or may not be the case, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk anything about that because I'm talking way too fast and we're running out of time on the show. But if that's what you decide you want your meaning of life to be, then sign up for it and go for it. But if there's an emptiness there, then it's probably because you're letting somebody else dictate the meaning of life to you. And I really do believe that is something that we each have to figure out for ourselves, that it is internally driven by our own sense of self to figure out what the meaning of life is. And if somebody in your family, your spouse, your children, if their meaning of life is to spend tons of time with family and your meaning of life is to travel the world, those two things could seem conflictatory, but there's also opportunities to make them mesh together. It could be traveling more with them or coming back after traveling and spending time with them and telling them the stories of great places they could one day go see. But the meaning of life is individual. And I want you to be able to just find that for yourself. And if you don't know what it is, you don't need to beat yourself up and expect to find it overnight. Find things that are curious to you. Turn them into interests. Get passionate about things. And they, they could come and go. 
Something could blossom vibrantly in your life for three, six, nine, twelve months, and then it just seemingly dissipates and, and just sort of the excitement around it dwindles. That's great. That's awesome. You had an amazing time with that hobby or that interest for that period of time. Now go find something else amazing. But if you just take the addictive substance out of your life, the process addiction or the substance use addiction, if you just take that out and you don't go searching for other things to fill that void, then that monster is going to be more than happy to sort of hibernate off in the corner until you have an emotionally surging moment. And that's whenever it likes to just jump right back into the driver's seat. Whether it's creating a podcast or or journaling about something cool that I've read, I just love creating, and I see creation at the physical in the physical sphere. Sphere. I keep looking at the clock, so I'm trying to rush through the ending of this. I see creation within my physical pillar, with my body, and trying to get it more fit at 47 than it's ever been in my entire life. I like to shift around my nutrition strategy. I like to alter the kind of water I drink and and, and put new, um, you know, like minerals and stuff into it to see if that helps my energy throughout the day. Um, I finally found a great pillow. So it's like I finally was able to create this soft little comfortable pillow space in my bed so I get great sleep. Emotionally, I'm constantly seeking ways to create new ways of, you know, taking in information that might go against my belief system and not you know, having a meltdown inside my mind about it or getting into an argument with my girlfriend and being able to figure out a way to heal us through that quicker. Mentally, I'm always looking for ways to create something. If I hear something, my brain just wants to figure out where it can just begin to expand the knowledge I already have. And around my spiritual pillar, my morals, my ethics, my values, my opinions, my beliefs, my standards of habits, my principles, there's all this amazing opportunity to create a more vibrant sense of Jesse, a more vibrant sense of self. I signed up for sobriety and recovery partially because I was looking for the personal growth and the self-transformation that came from just intricately breaking down my life, laying it all out there and just saying, what is it I'm no longer happy about? What is it I'm no longer content with? What is no longer serving me? Alcohol and drugs, they were just the biggest thing no longer serving me. But once I took that out, other things wanted to start filling that void. You can create in whatever way you decide to create. You can find meaning in whatever you decide to find meaning from. Just go and start searching for it. I will get you out of here on this. In 2012, I decided that I had a restaurant job working at this place called the SLS in Beverly Hills. And it was beginning to take over my life. And I had moved to California, specifically Los Angeles, to get into stand-up, to get into improv, to get into acting, to get into something in front of a camera on a microphone, and to figure out where I could find my space in that world. And this job was it was taking up too much of my time and it wasn't allotting me the ability to go do those things. So I took up all the money that I had saved up with this job. And I went out and bought a motorcycle and I bought a bunch of camera equipment and decided I was going to travel around the country, hit as many states as possible, go from California all the way to Florida, go as close to the Canadian border as I could, go as close to the Mexico border as I could, and shoot the whole thing as a documentary as I spread my mom's ashes and all these really cool places. And I'm bringing this story up because I called that 
documentary searching for something. And while it turned out that what I ended up searching for the whole time was my next bottle of booze, and I just drank my way through that entire project for four months, never did shit with the footage, and I'm still sitting on multiple terabytes that one day I may or may not do something with. I didn't shoot the nightly journals on the iPad because I was smashed most of the time by the end of the day when I finally got to the hotel, didn't camp out and do all the cool things I wanted to do. And in the end, I found that I was still searching for something. I think every Everybody is searching for something. And when we don't stop long enough to sober up and look around us and figure out what the fuck is going on, then we just keep going back to the thing that we've already found. And for most of us, that's the alcohol, that's the drugs, that's the food, it's the gambling, it's the sex, it's the porn, it's whatever process or substance use addiction has taken over our lives. We just keep returning to it because it is the easy road. We've already found it. It just so happens that what was once our medicine that we were searching everywhere for became our poison. But now we're in it. And we're in so deep, the idea of taking that away and starting the search and starting the mission all over again can sound exhausting. But I'll promise you, it's freaking exhilarating. It's amazing. There's so many more challenges and hurdles to overcome and these little accomplishments that turn into be, become these magnificent forests of success. It starts with little tiny seeds that we plant and we nurture and we love, thrive in the sunshine, get the hell out of the shade. Nothing is going to change if you don't start to make changes in your life. And it takes action for changes to occur. Yes, it could seem like it's a never-ending story sometimes. And it's just like, okay, here I go again. And I'll tell you, has somebody on 47 coming up on 50? Yeah, there's a part of me that, that thinks this whole adulting thing is bullshit. I don't remember signing up for going shopping for couches. I sure as hell don't want to have a 30-minute long conversation about a stupid mattress. I can't believe I just told you about my pillow. Seriously, I've been searching for a pillow for like five freaking years. I finally found one. It's got this little neck cut out in it. It's like memory foam. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. It's the first time in three decades I haven't had to sleep with two pillows. Love this freaking pillow. That's what I talk about now. I used to go to clubs that were four stories tall. They were shooting, you know, sudsy bubbles all over the place and there was you know hot dudes and chicks in cages dancing around to tr- trance music while all this crazy stuff's going on around i used to travel to exotic places to go to music festivals for multiple days i will still do those things i just do them sober now but i also spend a majority of my time nowhere near those kinds of places i did not think i'd live past 40 let alone be nearing 50. So a lot of this crap that's happening right now with a mortgage and, oh, my lawnmower's not working anymore. I guess I've got to go fix the carburetor. What's the best chainsaw to cut down this tree with? Oh, I need to start Googling how to fix a, you know, a catalytic converter on my car. That's not stuff I... I did not sign a contract for this. Nobody sat me down and said, hey, this is what you have to figure out when you start getting older. Because I would have rejected that. <laughs> 
And maybe that's what I was doing in my 20s and 30s while I was plowing through bottle after bottle and baggie after baggie, was just trying to stay away from all of this. And yeah, there are definitely times where my ego, my pride gets in the way of the stability and the groundedness I have in my life now. And I start to get pissed off that I don't live in Vegas or that I ever left Los Angeles, that I need to be at one of those kind of clubs. And what am I going to do? Got to make sure I'm doing something for New Year's Eve. Do I? For like 15 New Year's Eves in a row, I spent hundreds upon thousands of dollars to make sure I had all the drugs I needed, the coolest outfit, and the hottest ticket in town. Now I'm coming up on it. I'm like, I don't really know if I want to be around that many people. (laughs) I went to New York City. I walked Times Square the other day during Thanksgiving. It was literally the day after Black Friday. And there was a ton of people. And while I can handle a ton of people, getting bumped on all four sides as you're trying to walk around and look at, you know, Christmas decorations and windows at Macy's, it can get a little annoying. But back in the day, I thrived on that. I would have loved to have lived in Brooklyn or Queens one of those cool places and taking the subway everywhere. And now when people are like, why would you ever live in this place? I'm like, well, where's the nearest international airport? If it's further than two hours away, no way. Where's the nearest Costco or Sam's? Because if it's further than 45 minutes away, no way. And where's the nearest grocery store or big box store like a Walmart or a Kroger? If it's further than 20, 30 minutes away, no way. And I'm just, (laughs) I want there to be conveniences around me. But in my youth, I would have gone out of my way to be as far away from those conveniences as possible. I would have gone out of my way to be in the hippest building or going to the hottest parties. I would have missed paying my rent or my car payment to make sure that I was throwing it down like I was a rock star when I was just just a 20-year-old scared with no clue, no freaking idea what was going on. Yeah, getting sober and living life through this kind of lens, it can be shocking. Because we'd spent so many years of our lives living it in this sort of fast-paced hustle culture, drinking and laughing and feeling like we're the life of the party. But it was, it was all a facade. It wasn't as real as we thought it was. That's why it began to kill us, and that's why we chose sobriety and recovery. And if you're still in the contemplation planning stage, I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to scare you away from it. I'm just trying to make sure that you go in with eyes wide open. Yeah, there are going to be some changes, and they're going to be shocking. And you're going to be like, you know, this seems boring. It's like, what was we doing the other day? Walking around a freaking TJ Maxx on like a Sunday afternoon when I could have been at home watching Red Zone Channel. But the girlfriend wanted to go to TJ Maxx. You know, and I, I don't want to always just do what I want to do. It, it, it's like, it's, it's, you know what? It was boring ass games on anyways. I, and I, plus, I'd record the Red Zone channel. If I care that much about it, I can go back and watch it. But the point being is like, you know, back in the day, it'd have been like, no, go to the sports bar, party down, it's Sunday, and wake up Monday hating my life because I drank away my brain cells on that Sunday. But now I go to a TJ Maxx on a Sunday afternoon. I go over to the family's house and watch kids open up birthday presents, and I don't drink a drop of alcohol. It's like, sure, would a bottle of vodka have made that party better? I mean, based off of 20-year-old Jesse's mentality, sure, it could potentially have. It could have also pissed off everybody in the family, caused me to just continue to drink. Maybe then I go out and got found other drugs. You know, I wrecked my car into a tree, which I did four times during my drinking days. Like, I already know how that story plays out. I can play that to the credits. Let's play out this adulting 101, 102, 103, 401 stuff. Let's play that out to the credits. Because, yeah, it's not always as exciting as we had 
you know, made our active using days feel and seem, but that was all bullshit anyways. We were just lying to ourselves to continue a behavior that we knew was destroying us. And so when I got into sobriety and recovery, I did not necessarily realize how, you know, I mean, I guess I'm middle-aged now, how old and fuddy-duddy I could feel sometimes. But then I get to come in my office and I get to read cool books and I get to watch cool shows and I get to listen to cool podcasts and I get to talk to cool people about cool subjects and I get to integrate all this information and just be able to create thoughts and feelings and actions and results I never saw coming. I'll take the boredom of a Friday night at home just watching a movie to be able to feel the exhilaration of creating something amazing and then putting it out into the world for other people to enjoy. Whatever you decide to create, create it for you first, because then you'll want to keep doing it. But just create something. Build a structure. Open up opportunities for you to create something. And I don't want to hear this, well, I don't have time to do that because I've got to work and I've got the kids and I got this and I got that because you had plenty of freaking time to be drunk. You had plenty of time to be wasted. You had plenty of time to sit on the computer at three in the morning and buy shit on Amazon. You had plenty of time to sit there and and watch porn at all hours. You had plenty of time to be actively in your addiction. And now that's gone. All that time becomes yours again. Use it wisely. Because I can assure you, every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. But you have to create that day to be amazing in order to actually feel what it is I'm trying to get you to feel when I say that. Because every day is the best day. Because I will take my worst sober day over my best drunk day. Because at least I know the next day, I wake up feeling my best. Frank Sinatra was wrong. Sober people do not wake up feeling the best. He had that quote, I feel bad for people who don't drink. Because when they wake up, that's the best they're going to feel all day. No, I absolutely tell you, I feel really awesome right around midnight every single night. (laughs) And that's when I used to be wasted. Find something that means something to you and create something from that. And I promise you, promise you in the future, I will do better to get these things (laughs) around. I said 17 to 20 minutes, and here it was, 33. This is what happens, y'all. This is what happens. I, You know what? I had a feeling this was going to become more of a cheerleading episode. I wanted to say cool stuff. I want to create for you. I want to create for me. I just need to get it out. I just need to sing the praises of sobriety and recovery sometimes. And I just need to let you know that if there was one thing that I use as fuel more so than anything else, it is creation and its infinite forms. Go out there and make it happen for yourself. All right, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. Bye-bye. 